Well, good morning, Access Church. How's everybody doing? Glad you're here. If you're new to our church, we're glad you're here. Uh, you can get a gift out here in the lobby. We'd be happy to give you a mug or uh, something else, a water bottle or something. So I'm glad you guys, uh, you can do that later and, uh, and just want to say welcome to you. Hey, let me pray as we get started. God, we give you thanks today for every person who's here. God, I just pray for our church. I pray for the impact that we have in this community and the surrounding communities. I pray, God, that we are able to continue to spread hope and joy in the midst of a society that's too often filled with hate, too often filled with worry and anxiety. And so, God, we want to bring a message of hope, a challenge to a better life. And so, God, give us that. Renew us today. Refresh us as we study together, as we learn, not by our, by our opinion, but based on what you say in the Word of God. So, God, that's where we want to learn. That's where we grow. And so, God, give us that today. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Uh, many of you know that my family, my mom's family, still gets together on Sunday, and we have lunch together. It's not a one-day event for her. It's a three-day event for her. She uh, works on Saturday. Her grocery bill for that one day a week is more than what most of us will do in a month because uh, she provides for about 30 to 40 people on Sunday. Could you imagine every Sunday? And so she spends Saturday, she grocery shops, and then she prepares all day Saturday. On Sunday, we eat it. And how many of you know, it takes a lot less time to eat it than it does to prepare it, right? And, uh, and so, but we eat, and she enjoys that. And then the next day, Monday, is cleanup day. And then you know, there's a few days of rest, and then we're back at it again, ready to eat again. And it, it's been a family tradition for many, 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 many years. I told her last Sunday, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. I know this takes a lot of time and energy. She said, oh, I wouldn't have have it any other way, right? Well, there's a lot of great meal there. Uh, we have a lot of different dishes that come up every uh, week. We might have pot roast, or we might have lasagna, or ribs, or fried chicken, or pork and sauerkraut. Is anybody feeling me today? Amen. <laughs> you guys are hungry. But there is a dish that we have that's a staple every week, and that is the bread. The bread is a soft, buttery, melt-in-your-mouth, baked creation of deliciousness. And I think if I were given the choice, I would just choose a four-course meal of bread, you know? Uh, and some of my kids actually do that, right? Uh, bread with butter, bread without anything, bread with jelly. You know, you can have four-course meal with just, with just bread. Now, I don't know what manna tastes like. But in the Old Testament, I know that manna, the bread from heaven, sustained the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people were able to use that bread to be sustained and ultimately to be saved. Well, soon after that time, Moses referred back to that moment and reminded them, but wanted them to take their mind off physical bread and put it on a spiritual bread. Here's what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order that he would know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And what happened here is Moses then takes that manna, that, that idea of physical bread, and now elevates it to talk about these, what actually sustains us is not physical bread, but the words of God. It'd be, it's actually kind of amazing to walk through scriptures and see how many times this bread analogy is used in the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah writes, When your words came, I ate them. They were joy and my heart's delight. In the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy that he is being nourished with the words of faith. Jesus, made, Jesus makes it even more personal, where in John 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So just as the Israelites were physically sustained and nourished by the manna from heaven, we are sustained and nourished by the words of the Lord. Now, the Bible is our spiritual nourishment. These are the words of God, recounted the stories of God, recounted in Scripture, so that we might be able to, to have nourishment like bread that's offered to a starving wanderer. It is our spiritual four-course meal. But what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is not just a piece of literature. It recounts the real interaction between God and His creation. The events that are recorded in the Bible are not made up. They are not fiction. They actually happen. It is the actual historical interaction of God with His people. But these weren't just man's opinion. In fact, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God made sure that the, as the events happened and as the interaction with God happened, that the stories were retold, not just by the opinions of man. I enjoy epic movies, by the way. Movies like um, with kings and castles and Lord of the Rings type kind of things and epic battles and and in those movies, there is often a messenger that travels many miles over rough ter terrain to deliver a message from the king. And his job is to give that message over uh, good days and bad days to make sure that no matter how rough the situation is, no matter how bad the terrain is, he is to make it through enemy territory so that then eventually, as the king's agent, he would then carry along that message to a group of people or to another leader. And the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit of God oversaw and protected the writing of Scripture, that that message was carried along through generation upon generation upon generation, that it was given to us. The Bible is not just a piece of literature. It is the actual events, the actual recording of what happened between God and man. What's the message of the Bible? John, John Weiss, pastor of Southland Christian Lexington, Kentucky, did a little outline on a scripture verse in 2 Timothy that I think is really, really helpful. And his outline was, the Bible is from God, it is about Jesus, and it is for our good. And he gets this out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. 
All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and John just says, John Weister says, the Bible is from God. And in fact, where it says this is all Scripture is God-breathed is, is Paul's way of telling us this is not a man-made story. This is from God himself. It is God-breathed. God wanted to make sure that you got this message. It is God's love letter to the world. But it's not just from God. It's about Jesus. Paul said in Scripture that, that this story is to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scripture is about Jesus. All of it, not just the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, is about God's redemption plan for mankind. Dr. Norman Geisler wrote a classic book released in 2002 called To Understand the Bible, Look for Jesus. In his chapter entitled Christ in Each Book of the Bible, he says it this way. Start in Genesis and the books of the law, and you will discover the foundation for Christ. Here you'll see the reasons Jesus would come. Move to the books of history, the kings and the judges, and you're going to discover the preparation for Christ. He was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Then you get to the books of poetry, Psalm and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going to find that the people actually looked up in aspiration or worship of Christ. And then the prophets are building the expectation for Christ. One of these days, the Messiah is going to come, and they tell you about him. And then you get to the New Testament, and Jesus does come into our world. And the Gospels describe what's called the manifestation of Christ, Christ in our world. Jesus has come. The book of Acts is the evangelization or the proclamation of the message of the Bible and the message of Christ. Jesus has come, and now we're going to spread that word. The epistles or the letters are the application of Christ. The letters describe how Christians are to live like Jesus. And then ultimately, the book of Revelation is the culmination of Christ, where he will return as a conquering king and victorious. All of the Bible is about Jesus, and it is for our good. It is for our good. Paul tells Timothy that we read, so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Guys, the, the Bible is not a self-help book. It is the actual message of God to the world. And it contains very precious promises. And it provides warnings or about destructive behaviors and habits. It convicts us. It challenges us to right thinking and behavior. The Bible gives us direction and advice on hundreds of different topics. The Bible convicts us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Bible penetrates us. It's not some outdated, irrelevant book that doesn't matter. It is living and it is active. The Bible is from God. It's about Jesus and it's for our good. So if the Bible is so good for us, why do we not partake of it more? Why don't we eat the words of God more? Why is it that we kind of leave it on the end table or we don't really consume it? Maybe we're too busy. Maybe it's too difficult, we think, to read. Maybe we just don't even think we need it. But in my experience, there are three types of Christians, three groups of Christians out there when it comes to the Word of God. And here they are. There are those who are spiritually starving. They do not consume the Word of God. They're starving spiritually. There are those who are spiritually stagnant. They do consume the Word of God, but they don't exercise it, or they don't practice it, or they don't apply it. 
And then there are those who are spiritually satisfied. They balance both hearing and doing. Jesus described this in a very famous passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus actually said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does, or, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And so Jesus just says in this passage, on one hand, he addresses those who hear the words, but they never apply it. They hear what he says, but they never put it into practice. These are the takers. They're the consumers. They hear the words, but they don't do anything about it. They consume, but they don't move. James said something similar in James chapter 2, verse 17. He said, faith without, word, without action is dead. So these are the individuals that they take it in, but they're just stagnant. They aren't doing anything about it. And just prior to these words, Jesus described another group of people. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. It said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then he said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. So here, Jesus talks about those who did things for him, but they don't have a relationship with him. They were active. They did miracles even. They drove out demons, but they didn't actually know him. They never consumed the word of God. Now, in our book called Elementary Discipleship, we wrote this in a tool that we call the spiritual wellness tool. It's actually my favorite tool in the whole book. All right, so here's what it looks like. And on one side, you'll see that there's spiritual starvation. Those are what we just described, okay? This is the extreme example of somebody who receives no spiritual nourishment. They're not eating the words of God. They're not taking in worship. They're not filling themselves with spiritual truth. And this includes both those who have no relationship with God and at times those who do have a relationship with God, but they moved away from the table now. And this can happen gradually. They just lack consistent attention. They are starving because they are not consuming the Word of God. They are running on empty. They might even be giving to others, but they're not refilling themselves. Spiritual starvation. On the other side of the spectrum, we see stagnation. This is the other extreme where somebody is filled to the brim. They've eaten so much that they're now immobile. They never leave the table. This is the man or woman who eats often. They know their Bible. They can even argue doctrine with the best of them. They might attend every church event. They are consumers. They can't get enough knowledge, but they are completely inactive. They consume, but they don't move. This is the individual who comes up to your dinner table and all they do is just, you know, claim I want more and more and more and more. Remember that old movie with Monty Python where the guy was like, if I just eat one more cracker, I'm going to bust. I mean, this is that person, all right? They're just right there at the table and they're just eating and consuming and consuming and consuming and they never leave the table. And because of that, they become very needy. They often become complaining because all they're doing is eating at the table. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, it's good to have knowledge. You need to have truth, but you also need to be exercising that truth, applying it to your life. And friends, both of these extremes are deadly. Spiritual starvation 
ends in a lack of spiritual nourishment, spiritual stagnation, ends in a lack of spiritual movement. And they are both deadly spiritual conditions. Without, when I work without nourishment, I become weak and ineffective. And when I eat and never work, I become lethargic and needy. But when I eat and work, I am balanced. I'm fit. I'm ready to be deployed. And so the goal here is spiritual health and satisfaction. The pinnacle of spiritual health is when somebody maintains this good balance of hearing and doing. The person hears the word of Jesus and puts them into practice. That's why we call it spiritual satisfaction. You are balancing the two. You are spiritually satisfied. You enjoy the fellowship and nourishment from the table, but you also slide the chair back and you get up and go to work. Satisfaction comes when I am both hearing the word of the Lord and I'm working for the Lord. Health happens when I am filled, poured out, and refilled. So I just want to ask you for a moment, where are you on this spectrum? Are you more likely to be spiritually starved where you are maybe doing things for the Lord? Or maybe you're not, but you're not consuming the word of God. You don't have the regular habits. And I want to say that that is part of the reason where you are where you are. You are not nourishing yourself. You are not taking in the nourishment of the Word. Maybe some of the rest of you are on the spiritual stagnation side. And if you're on the spiritual stagnation side, then maybe you realize that You've taken in the Word of God so much, but you're not actively involved in anything. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to develop some good habits. Even if it's hard at first, and even if it's not part of your routine, make it part of your routine. Start to exercise your spiritual muscles. You've allowed atrophy, spiritually speaking, into your body. Begin to develop the spiritual habits and disciplines that will reignite your spiritual wellness. Do something for others. Worship. Find a purpose. Stay positive. Refrain from being, being critical of yourself or others. Be a team player. Give an anonymous gift. Say yes to opportunities. Be the first one to volunteer. Do something. Develop a routine that will help you run as far and as fast as you can from stagnation. So don't just take in the Word. Do something with it. And again, those of you who are starving spiritually, the best thing I think you can do is just start to eat. Start to eat. Anybody had a child in here that was like, I don't want to eat. I'm not going to eat right now. No. Mm -mm. And they're like, no, 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 no. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. Let's, here comes the airplane. Here comes the airplane. And let's open up. It's going in the hangar. You know, every little technique we try to do, right, here it comes. And, uh, and they go, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it. And finally, once they taste that one bite, they end up going, hmm, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. And then the next hangar, the next airplane is able to land a little easier, right? And then it keeps going. Why? Because once you get a taste of something, you might want more of that. And that's what I think when it comes to spiritual starvation. Just start eating. It may not be a big meal at first. Just start eating again. Sometimes just taking in the Bible in small doses will create in you a spiritual hunger. So start to eat the words of God. Do what the psalmist says. Taste and see that the word or that the Lord is good. Download a Bible app. Read the verse of the day. Open the Psalms and recite one of the heartfelt prayers of David. Jesus said it this way. When you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. You're going to be filled. We developed a little acronym called EAT. You've heard us talk about it before. But it basically, if you're thinking about eating the words of God, EAT, this is what you should do. 
You should teach this to your kids so that they know how to eat and feed, feed themselves. E is examine. Examine the words of Scripture. And when we examine the Scripture, we look at what the verses are actually saying to those who they were originally written to. All right? What was the story? What was the passage? What was the, what was the background of that? And these, scripts, these uh, questions are questions that we, we found somewhere, and they were helpful when you think about context, reading in context. Who wrote it? What was the author? When did they write it? What was the occasion? Why were they writing it? Who were they writing to? What was the audience of that letter? Or what was the audience of that book? And then, what were they trying to say? So just simply, and, and here's the thing, you don't have to do this on your own. There are vast amounts of resources online. There are Bible commentaries, Bible study help books, all kinds of things. Not all of them are completely accurate. You might have to compare two or three as you're reading through it, but you're going to get a very good idea about what that passage means, and you just examine it. And by the way, a lot of people say the Scripture is hard. In my experience is, when people say it's hard, that's just because they haven't actually dug into it. There are so many Scriptures that are easy to digest if you just simply read it. Examine it. Examine it. And then the second one is apply it. When you apply the Bible, you're asking, okay, not just what does it say, but what does it say to me? How do I apply this in my life? What action steps do I need to take? What is the Bible saying to me? Friends, application is the key. James 1.22, the author says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just take it in. Do it. Apply it to your life. Read every verse with the question in mind, what is God saying to me? What will I do about what I just read? Examine the Bible in context and then ask, how can I apply it to my life? How can I apply it to my life? And, and these questions are also not original to us, but they helped us. Is there a sin in this verse that is exposed that I need to repent of? Is there a command given that I need to obey? Is there a promise made that I need to hold on to? Or is there some truth revealed that I need to believe instead of some lie that I've been believing? And if you're taking notes on that, if you can get it, you can just buy the book. It's in there. All right? So, so when you read this, though, and you say, okay, what does this mean for me? Just ask yourself these questions as you're reading. How does it apply to my life? And then finally, talk about it. Because when you talk about it with somebody else, it helps you stay accountable. Somebody, some of you guys, you started a new fitness plan at the beginning of the year, and you said, I'm going to diet and I'm going to exercise. And you might have said that, but how long did that last if you didn't tell anybody about that? You just said it in your own mind. You're like, I'm going to be better fit. And everybody's like, great, go do it. Awesome, go be better fit. This is what happens. And uh, if you just say it in your mind, but if you tell other people, they're going to go, great. Now, when are you going to do it? When are you going to actually do it? And what if you tell one friend in particular, and you don't just make a general statement at, at, uh, at lunch to everybody, and you tell one friend, listen, I appreciate you. I need you to hold me accountable to exercise and eating right. And will you do it? And they're going to be like, yeah, absolutely. How many days a week are you going to be like exercising? Three days a week. Good. Three days a week. What days? Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Great. I'm going to be texting you. Great. Awesome. And then they stay up with you. And then if they, you know that if you don't get it done, guess what's going to happen? Hey, did you exercise today? No. Okay. Well, do it. All right? Application. Now you're telling somebody about it. All right? You're telling somebody about it. Now, this is how this works practically. For example, if you're ever going to use this E-A-T in the Scripture, here's one way to do it. There's a Scripture verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to build up others according to their needs. You say, well, the Bible's so hard. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
Just don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Ephesians 4.29. And you tell a buddy, hey, the Bible says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And you say, I think I struggle with that. I've been discouraging to my spouse. I discourage my kids. I whatever. I've been saying some things at work I shouldn't say. I've been doing whatever. And I want you to hold me accountable to that. The Bible's telling me that I need to work on my mouth. And your buddy says, great, let's do that together, all right? Let's work on it together. We're going to stay accountable with each other. And so now you've examined the Scripture. What is he saying? Who's he saying it to? you got to read and try to understand. Paul wrote it to the church at Ephesus. What was he talking about? Because there were people in the church that were saying things about other people. He was saying, don't do that. So now we've read it in context. Then we're going to apply it to our life and say, okay, now that I've heard that Scripture, I want to apply it to my life, my relationships, my friendships, whatever. And then now I'm going to tell somebody about it. And by the way, I'm going to pray to God about it too because I need God's help in my life. God, I want to talk to you about it. And now that I've done that, help me stay accountable to that principle. Does that make sense to everybody? You teach your kids how to do that. They will begin to read the Bible on their own. They can take any passage of Scripture, examine it, apply it, talk about it. They're going to eat the Word of God. The essence of discipleship is helping one another become more like Jesus by applying His Word to our life. Art Merkel was a friend of my father uh, a long time ago, and he was a longtime preacher at the Wilmington Church of Christ in Wilmington, Ohio. And after he died, my mom and dad went to the visitation, and Art's wife was there. And as they went through the line, and they said, Art's you know, the Art's wife, we're so sorry this happened. And he's such a good man. And he had such a good ministry here in Wilmington. She stopped him and told a story to them that I think she probably told to many people as they walked through the funeral line that day. She said, well, it seems that Art's heart was giving out, and he was went to the hospital, and nothing they could do helped much with his prognosis or with the pain. And the doctors told him of a new laser procedure that— uh, they could do and art said well yeah let's give it a try and when they started the procedure in the hospital arts heart stopped they did what they could do to revive him but they couldn't revive him and so very quickly the doctor came out to talk to the family and to ask if they should continue with life-saving measures or not and art's wife just very calmly faithful christian woman for many many years loved and adored her husband so much she said well, how long has he been gone? And the doctor said, a, a few minutes now. His wife thought for a moment and said, well, you know he's been in heaven then for a few minutes. I sure wouldn't want to take him from there. Let's leave him there. And, and then they did. Now that is hope. Because most of us cling to life on this earth, but Art's wife said, I believe the words of Scripture. I believe the words of God, which say that when you leave your body here, you're in the presence of the Lord. And she was like, I wouldn't dare take him away from that place. Let's just leave him there. That's hope. And that hope is available to all those who hear the word, receive the word, and put it into practice. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And if you want to have a solid foundation, if you want to be healthy, spiritually speaking, you have to consume the word. You have to apply the word, practice it, and then go back and consume some more. It's basic 101 physical health, spiritual health, 
works very similarly. So those of you who are starving to death, start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those of you who are stagnant, you're working for the Lord, but you don't know the Lord, you have lost that connection, get back involved in the Word of God. What you're missing today is you're missing hearing and being real refilled by God Himself. That is what you need the most. And so in light of that, I just want to pray for you. God, would you just allow us today to hear the words of the Scripture? Hear what has been taught today, God, and, and allow us to consume that. Your word is good, Jeremiah said. Those words are sweet to the taste. I want to consume those words. I want to eat the words of God. They are the bread of life. But then, God, we want to take that and we want to apply it. We don't want to be, just be consumers. We don't want to just be takers. We want to apply what we've learned. We want to put it into practice. We want to hear good advice from God. We want to hear the promises of God, and then we want to take those want to apply them to our life, tell somebody else about them so we can stay accountable, and then we want to slide back up to the table again so that we can receive from you once again. We pray for that, God, and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.